Hey, babe. We haven't been to church in a couple weeks. What do you say we go this weekend? Yeah. Why this weekend? Oh, I don't know. What are they talking about this weekend? Oh. All right. Well, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Okay, let's try it again. Online, thanks for being with us. I hear you pounding on the keyboards. Let's try it again in the room. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Now, Valentine's Day is one of these holidays where people, I feel like it's so, you either love it or you really don't, right? And if you don't love it, it's because it feels like, you know, like National Single Awareness Day, like you just, oh, what are we supposed to do? Or maybe maybe you have the thought process of like, well, you know, it's a Hallmark holiday. It's not even real, right? So I have to go out and buy flowers and chocolates and a card. And, you know, we're trying to save up money or get out of debt and do this. And I have to waste, you know, $10 over here on these things, right? So there, there's that kind of mindset. But if you love it, it's a really cool holiday. And let me explain. I love Valentine's Day. I think it's really, really helpful because, because it's like a yearly alarm on my calendar that says, hey man, put in some effort, show your wife that you love her. And for me, I need that. Now I should be doing that year round, but like, let's be honest, because we're at church. Uh, that doesn't always happen. You know what I mean? Sometimes I, get, I forget or I get sidetracked. And it happens all the time, right? Same thing with Mother's Day. My wife is a phenomenal mom, and I should be telling her this all the time, but thank God there's Mother's Day, so I make sure it gets done at least once a year, right? This is my thought on Valentine's Day, and I I just love it because I feel like for all of us in our marriages, we should be sharing with our spouses how much they mean to us, how much we love them. And it's a once in a year or once a year time where we can all put in a little bit of work. Now, let me explain. I I thought growing up, once you get married... Life is kind of like this, like for your whole marriage. It looks like this. Uh, it's a Victoria's Secret box. If you can't bag if you can't see it. By the way, this is my most expensive visual aid. You have to spend a lot of money and buy a lot of fabric to get the big bag. Because if you buy one, you get like the little one. And you're like, this is going to work. I have to show a lot of people. And uh, it was funny. I was going to go pay with it with the church card. And I'm like, there's no way that I can convince Kurt that like, no, I promise it's for the sermon. Like, it's, it's for work, I promise. So anyways, this is... Are you guys embarrassed, by the way? Is there a little tension in the room? Think how I feel. You're all looking at me, but I'm looking at all of you. There's a lot more faces. And plus, my mom is watching. So, hi, mom. Thanks for tuning in, I guess. But let me explain. Um, I thought all the hard work was, was on the front end of marriage. Like, you know, you have to look good and be sweet and romantic and all of that stuff. You find someone that'll date you, and then you get engaged, and then you get married, and boom, you check the box. You're good. You trapped her in, or him, or whatever. And so it was just going to look like this. It's, it's beautiful, it's sexy, it's elegant, it's exciting, and you're like, wow, this, yeah, this is what it's supposed to be. And hear me out for a second, because when we got married, we got married at the Bellwether here in Bellingham, and then we immediately hopped on a plane, and we went here. We went to Tahiti. And if you ever have the option to go to Tahiti, you need to go to Tahiti. It's incredible, man. It's beautiful. So you walk out on the boardwalk thing over the water and you're in the bungalows. And I got to tell you, you walk in and the room is immaculate. Everything is clean. You have the ocean breeze. You don't need an air conditioning because the weather is perfect. 
And the water is so clear. You can see all the rocks and all the fish and everything. It is clearer than you've ever seen clear water before in your life. I promise you that. And so you get inside your bungalow and they have this coffee table and it's a glass coffee table. And you look down and you can see the rocks and the fish. It's amazing. And then you slide the coffee table to the side. And in your room and on the boardwalk, there are places where you can get breadcrumbs and other food. And you can drop it through the coffee table. And you see all these fish just... They just swim and they're right there in you. All different shapes and sizes and colors. I mean, it is beautiful. The nightlife there, there's absolutely no light, nightlife because everyone's on their honeymoon. They're, uh, they're working on their marriage is what they're doing. Um, but it, it's incredible. And during the day, you have these like romantic excursions. And so one of them that we went on, we, you, you jump on this boat and they, they cruise out to the middle of the ocean. And again, just you can see it is incredible. And we get in there and the one that Darcy and I decided to go on was the one where you feed the stingrays and you feed the sharks. And so everyone, you just jump in the water and our guide was amazing. And so he's, he, you know, he put his hand out and you would, they'd come up and just no, no, no. And they would go, but then he would get the food and he'd put it on the backs of people that were in the water. And so the stingrays just come up and they're like little vacuum cleaners. They just drive by and go, Yum, and they just suck it right up. It is the weirdest, grossest, amazing feeling in the world. It's super cool. And then from there, we hop back in the boat and we cruise around another little island and we start feeding the sharks. And it's incredible. Again, all different shapes, colors, sizes. It's amazing. And you get into the water and he said, there's one rule when you're feeding the sharks. He says, you don't feed the sharks, you feed the sharks. You know what I mean? Like, don't hold out your hand and have them do a drive-by. Don't do that. You throw it way out there and keep the sharks way over there, not up close. And so we're doing this. We're laughing and we're just giddy and just, oh, we're just so in love because we're living in paradise. And it's incredible. And then like all good things, right, it must come to an end. So we hop back on the plane. We come back home and we settle into our apartment. And our coffee table isn't glass. It's... Um, glorified cardboard you play cards on that coffee table we don't have much our bed doesn't look like the bed that was in the bungalow and well certainly the food that we're eating is not what you would normally eat and well you wake up the next morning you got to go to work so you have all that stress of coming back and doing that whole thing and if you're you know if you've been married for a while and then you've had some kids along the way you know that like the romance isn't as quick and easy as you are as it was when you're in tahiti in the bungalow just you and your girl right you're just you know you have to put in some work and rearrange and get creative around the kids because some of you know that kids can ruin the mood you're like ready and you're excited and then you hear a screaming baby in the background like game over you're done and it's really, really challenging, and you have to put in work. And so I realized very quickly that a healthy marriage doesn't always look like this. It kind of looks, it kind of looks like this. Let me explain. That's a Home Depot bucket. I guess what I'm saying is there is work that needs to be done in your marriage. There are certain tools that you need to have in order to have a healthy marriage. You have to put in effort into your marriage. I like to say it this way. We'll put it up on the screen for you. A healthy marriage requires a healthy sex life. A healthy sex life requires a healthy marriage. If you want this in your marriage, you have to have this. You have to put in work. You have to do both. Now, I'm going to get rid of these because we're just going to stare at them the rest of the service. So we'll try and hide them. But this is so profound. I just assume that like, well, you know, you're, you're just in love and it's all going to work out. 
It doesn't just work out. You have to put in effort. You have to put in work. You have to romance your spouse. Now, let me explain a couple things. You're thinking healthy marriage and healthy sex life. What does that look like? I'll kind of explain quickly here. A healthy marriage is one where there's mutual love and respect. There's mutual submission. And you're valuing your spouse above yourself. Now, this is next week's conversation, so I'm not going to do a deep dive into this. Just, just know this and we'll move on. A healthy sex life, and here's what we're going to talk about, is one where you play by God's standards, by his rules, his design, basically marriage. Um, don't have sex outside of marriage. And it's mutually satisfying and fulfilling for your spouse. Or I should say for both spouses. This is a win-win. This is not one or the other. Now, notice what I did not say. I did not say anything about the number of times during the month, the amount that you should have, or any of that stuff. Why? Every relationship is different. Every human being is different. There is no perfect subscribed number. The main thing is, are you playing by God's rules? And is it satisfying and life-giving? Is it fulfilling? Is it bringing you closer as a couple? Because if it doesn't, ah, there's some work to do. There's some work that has to be done. So we're going to talk about this, what it means to have a healthy sex life. And in order to do so, we got to go right to the very, very beginning. And the Bible's going to lay it all out. So we're going to jump in. It'll, it'll be Genesis chapter 1. I want to set the scene real quick. Here's a thing I observed when I was doing some study on this talk. Um, in Genesis 1, God is creating everything. And he's separating things because they're different. One of these things is not like the other, so we're going to separate them right here. So here we go. God is creating and he creates the heavens and the earth. They're different. They're separated. He creates light and then there's darkness, right? These are not the same, correct? Okay, just make sure you're with me. They're separate because they're different. We got evening and we have morning. Those are clearly two different things, right? We have the sky, the land, and the sea. Those are clearly different things, correct? And then he gets to mankind. And I find this fascinating. Men and women are different. Can I get an amen? amen. They are different. They're, way, they're, they're very different. That's what I'm trying to say. But listen, listen to what happens. So he creates mankind and they're uniquely different, but he does not try to separate them. He tries to unite them based off their differences. Now, opposites can attract, but they can also repel, can't they? All these things are different, and God says we're going to separate, we're going to separate, we're going to separate. But for husband and wife, we're going to unite because of your differences. You were made to unite. You were made to come together. You were made to have sex. I think it's fascinating. And so, listen, we'll go Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Um, I, I love this. Verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. He knew that men needed help and lots of it. So he creates woman. It's funny in the text, uh, God marches all the animals through to see if there's a, a suitable helper. And Adam's like, no, 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 no. Dogs are cool, but no, 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 no. But for Adam, there was no suitable helper. Uh, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And I love that it is a rib from the side. 
See, it's not, it wasn't a part of the front where the woman could be out in front and man would be chasing woman for the rest of his life. And it wasn't a part of Adam's backside either so that he could always be out in front and be superior to the woman and she would always be below him or behind him. No, 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 no. From the side, from the rib, from the side, they're in alignment with one another. There, there's an equal partnership here. I think it is such a beautiful, beautiful photo. I, I think of this. Um, do you remember in junior high where you were in so, like you were just in love? And if you're a guy, that usually meant that the girl was taller than you because of puberty and how all that works out. But do you remember that? And you always had to carry your books in your backpack, like little, small, scrawny junior hires, huge backpacks, just weighed down. And you're trying to march around, but you got the love of your life next to you, right? And they're there, and the, the little guy has to get his arm over the tall girl, and he's learning how to walk next to her. You've seen this, right? Do you remember this? This is the image that I get with this passage right here of like Adam and Eve trying to figure this out. Like it is side by side, but we need to learn how to walk together, don't we? It's, it's natural, it's right, it's fitting, but there is a bit of a learning curve to this because they are different, but they are to be united. And Adam needed a helper. And so God created woman. Now, ah, let's keep going. Verse 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. United means married, and one flesh means sex. Which is why a healthy marriage requires a healthy sex life, and a healthy sex life requires a healthy marriage. See, growing up, I thought it was more like this. You have your marriage life. Then you have a sex life. You know, you do all the work and you're here and that's good. But you got to work really hard for that. If you want your sex life to increase, you have to work really, really hard at that. And that's why there's all these books written about it. There's all these blogs. There's these teachers and classes that you can take. There's articles that you can read that are all about your sex life. As if the two had nothing to do with one another. And if you're lucky... And if you married well, this is the narrative. If you're lucky and you're married well, it'll look like this. It'll overlap. And if you're super lucky, the, the overlap, the Venn diagram, the, it'll be more. There'll be way more purple. And if there isn't enough, just keep reading more books, try new things and positions, and everything is going to work out well for you. Just tips and tricks and whatever you have to do to try and force this to consume this. And what I find from the passages is it's not one or the other. It looks like this. This is what it is to be married. You're united and you're having sex. You are married. You're coming together. It is husband and wife. It, to be married is to have sex. Can I get an amen? amen? Thank you. That was really good, this area right here. That was, that was really strong. I appreciate that. If your marriage is strong and healthy, you will have a strong and healthy sex life. If your marriage is not strong and healthy, your sex life won't be. Because sex is not just physical. It's not just a physical transaction. Physicalness is clearly a big part of it, but come on. There's more to this. There's way more to this. So, keep reading. Verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt... What are those last two words? No shame. Circle, underline, highlight, star, smiley face, whatever you got to do. Arrows. We're going to camp out on those two words in just a 
second. Now, some of you may, may know the rest of the story if you grew up in church, right? Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, and God said, Here, enjoy. I've made it all for you. One another, all the plants, the food, the animals, the sky, the stars, whatever you want. It's like you thought Tahiti was great. It is nothing compared to the garden. Do whatever you want. Just don't eat from that tree. It's the knowledge of good and evil. So the serpent shows up on the scene, right? And starts messing with Eve going, mm, Did God really say don't eat from that? Do you really? Are you sure? Maybe you misheard him. Verse 4 says, You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit from the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, back in the day, I, like Eve got a bunch of rap, and I think women got you know a really hard time because, oh, Eve eat, ate the fruit first. Listen, know that Adam was right there watching. You know what I mean? Like the whole time, Adam could have easily gone, hey, Eve, we probably shouldn't do that because, you know, the God who created all this goodness for us said, hey, don't do that, and it's going to be bad, and it's not going to work out for us. What did Adam do? <laughs> Are you going to eat all that? Can I have a bite? So, you know, this, both of them screwed this one up big time. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them, listen, they were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So remember, God is creating things and he's separating them based off their differences, but not people, not Adam and Eve. They're going to be united because of their differences. And now they eat this fruit and their eyes are opened. They, they feel shame and they sew coverings for their bodies. So now, now listen, listen, instead of being open and vulnerable and honest and, and here I am, I've now covered myself. There's now another hurdle that you must overcome to have intimacy, to have sex. There's now more work because shame has entered into the picture because we have knowledge of good and we have knowledge of evil. Here, here's what Adam and Eve knew. They knew that sex, it's not just physical it is a whole human experience. It is a holistic experience. But they also knew the evils of it. And the evils of sex is when you compartmentalize. And when it just becomes physical, or it just becomes emotional, or when God has nothing to do with it, or you play outside the boundaries that God has put it in. If your relationship is not healthy and strong, but you think, well, at least we have a lot of sex, so that's going to compensate for this. It does not. They knew the good. They had knowledge of the good, of a full, complete, robust understanding of what it means to have sex. But they also knew how we could be hurt by this, how we could take it out of context. I'm sure there were times where Eve was frustrated at Adam because, ugh, just leave me alone. All you want is my body. Stop. I get it. I know you want to have sex. But emotionally, I'm not there yet. I feel valued for this, not for who I am or what I think. I have a brain, you know. Come on, Adam. And Adam is tired of being rejected all the time. So he's thinking different thoughts, and he does what the rest of us do, right? He goes to the Internet, which is known for its wisdom. <laughs> so he says, what are the tips and tricks and techniques and things that I can do so that I can romance my wife, which is a, a nice justifying word for manipulate or encourage my wife to go and have sex with me? And Eve goes, ugh, it, all he wants is my body, leave me alone. And it's not happening. And Adam gets frustrated at the relationship. It's not strong. It's fractured right now. And then he goes, God, why is it this way? She is, listen, 
not just married, but in this moment, literally the only human being that can, that can have sex with him. Do you know how frustrating that is if that doesn't work? There's no one else. God. What the? There seems to be a flaw in the system here. What is happening? And aren't you glad this is just Adam and Eve's problem and we don't wrestle with this stuff today? Isn't that such good news? You're like, oh, never, never. Sex is the, the goodness. It is a holistic, whole human experience. It is physical, it is spiritual, it is mental, it is emotional, it is relational. It is designed to take two human beings who are different and unite them together. And it's designed to be enjoyable and satisfying and fulfilling and good over and over and over again. Because in that moment, Adam and Eve, they're sitting here going, I accept you. I'm not, this is not just your body. This is all of you. You're saying, I value our relationship. I love you more than any human being on the earth. Now, there was only one, but you know. Emotionally, how do you feel valued? That's going to help. Mentally, what are your thoughts about your spouse? How do you know what your spouse is thinking about you? And I'm saying, and Adam is saying, look, let me express those to you in the most vulnerable way I know how. This, friends, is where sex is really, really good. But listen, if you compartmentalize this and you buy into the myth and the lies that society has said, oh, sex is just physical, it's not that big of a deal. Men just want this, and if you can give them this, you'll be fine. Women are just emotional, so you need to figure out all the, you know, sweet moving and sweet talking things that you can say to get them in the zone. You've, you've missed out. You're focusing on two things. There are five things that the full body experience. And, and if you have sex and it's not great, you just need to try harder. What? No, it's not going to be great if you don't have all of this. God designed it this way. It is a full body experience. Now, um, this is Adam and Eve and what they're experiencing and their, their shame. I want to dive a little closer and talk about us for a moment. Because there's shame surrounding this. Now, let me, um, let me talk about our sex and our shame and how we experience this today. We're going to talk about men and we'll talk about women. And I am painting with very broad strokes. I, I've got 30 minutes to crank through this stuff. I'm not going to get everything, okay? But hear me out for a second. Um, men are going to look at their performance and they're going to feel shame when it comes to that. Gained a few pounds. I'm not what I used to. If they're having trouble having sex with their wife and their wife is denying them or saying no or rejecting them or whatever the case, the man is immediately going to go inside and go, man, if only I was. If I was better at this, if I was stronger here, if I had more of that, then maybe I could and blah, 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 blah. And they're going to value their performance. And there's shame in that because they feel weak when they are denied. And society will say, well, if you're strong enough, if you're good enough, then you'll get all of this stuff. And you're you're not having as much sex as you want, so clearly it's your fault. There's there's shame in that. So men do the next thing. Here's what we do. We start to compare. Well, if my spouse was more like that guy's spouse, if I made the amount of money that that guy made, if I drove that kind of car, if I looked the way that that guy did, maybe if I would have made different choices, the ones that he did, then maybe our sex life would look like and, and there's shame in this. Because when you compare, you always lose. 
Listen, even when you compare to someone, you're like, well, you know, I'm way better than that person. Yeah, you just compared yourself at the expense of them. That's not a win. When we compare, we always lose because there's always someone, here we go, quote unquote, better. They have more. So we go here. We feel rejection. When men, women, this is so, this is so important. When men initiate sex and they are, they are denied sex, they don't feel like, we, well, it's just not going to happen because it's not the right time. More often than not, they feel this. And ladies, all, look, all the boxes could be checked. You're like, look, things are good. Like we're emotionally, physically, like go through the list. We're good on all these things. The only thing that's wrong right now is time because the baby's crying. It's just not going to happen. Or we haven't slept well the last eight nights. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. We need to sleep. But the guy doesn't hear it's a bad time. What the guy hears is the woman I love most in all the world just rejected me. Women, I'm going to let you in on a big secret. And all the guys know this. We just hate to admit it. We are, we are weak. The myth is that men have to be strong. We have to have everything all together and nothing hurts us. And I promise you, that is not true. So we experience shame because we don't think we're good enough. We compare ourselves and realize we're not good enough. And then we feel rejected by the one we love most. And ladies, you're not even rejecting us. It's just not a good time. And so you, you have to help us with this because... We don't get this. But you also love this man more than anyone else in the world. So to simply, to simply say, hey, it's not going to happen, maybe there's a way to finesse that a little bit and say, I'm not rejecting you. It's just, it's not going to work tonight. Or maybe even say, I'm opening to try, but it's probably not. But to be able to communicate and listen and have a conversation to where this, this is not shameful, it just becomes matter of fact. I promise you, this is significant for men. And I think equally significant is this next one for women. Body image and the shame associated with this. Out of all the conversations I had with women on staff and friends and my wife and everything, this is the thing that kept coming up the most. Issues of body image. If I have the right measurements and the right coloring and the right this, that, and the other, then I will be okay. We learned this from Hollywood. We learned this from social media. What's the best way to get the most amount of followers, the best respect for everyone to like you? Well, you need to have these measurements. You need to look a certain way. And if you don't look a certain way, like, oh, sorry, you will never be good enough. You will never be as beautiful as so-and-so. And so what do women do? They do the exact same thing that men do. They compare. And again, when you and I, when we start comparing, we lose. Because when we start comparing, it's about other people. It has nothing to do with the person that we value most in this world and we love. It's all with the, everyone on the outside of this relationship. Here's the last way that I think women feel shame when it comes to sex is categorically valued. Feeling loved and appreciated just for your body, not for your mind. He can say everything in the world. You look so beautiful. I love you. You look great in that outfit. You're amazing. You still got it. You know, you look better than you did back in the day. Like you, whatever line that you want to say. But all she's hearing is physical, 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 physical. There are more parts to a woman than just her body, right? We, we, should, we should value those things. We should say those things. We should point those things out publicly. My wife is one of the smartest people I know. If I'm any somewhat if I'm any ounce of somewhat successful at my job, it's because I have a wife who's smart and says, don't say that in your sermon. (laughs) 
My wife is amazing. And I need to not just wait on holidays, but I need to tell her, I think she's beautiful. I think she is smart. I think she's a really good friend. She's very loyal. There are all these different elements of what it means to be a human being. And we need to value and appreciate all of those things, don't we? But if I just go to my wife and if you go to your wife and spouses and always, oh, you look hot in that way to go, babe. I like it when you wear this walk around in that. All they're hearing is I am valued based on this one category of who I am. And that better be right. Because if I get that category wrong, I don't have it good in any other category. Then I am deficient. Listen, this is how we all think. Let's go to the next slide here. Listen, the universal shame and sex. We ask this question or we say this. If only I was fill in the blank. And we just rip ourselves apart because we're not good enough. And then we get down here. If only you were. So now the problem isn't just me. Now the problem is my spouse. Well, if you were more like your friend, because they seem to be. mm. If you thought this way, if you talked this way, if we wore what they wear, if you do, 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 do. And ultimately, you and I are asking this question right here. In the most intimate relationship, we're asking this question, am I good enough? Now stick with me for a second. The answer to this is no. You are broken. You are flawed. By the way, I am as well. Um, We do things intentionally to hurt the ones we love the most. We harbor resentment and bitterness towards people. Am I good enough? The answer is no, but you are completely worthy of love. Both, both of giving and showing love and receiving love. Both giving love and receiving love. Th- th- look, sex is so much more than just physical. Think of this. You have two broken people. Like, think, of, think of Adam and Eve, fully exposed in their nakedness. This is who I am, for better or for worse. This is who I am, and this is who you are, for better or for worse. And we stand there, and we go, am I good enough? And we're not. But for the other person to say, in spite of everything that you bring to the table, both the good and some of the lesser qualities, I love you more than anyone else in the world. You are worthy of that. And then for your spouse to look you back in the eyes and say the exact same thing. That is beautiful. In spite of some of the mistakes that you make, some of the unwise choices that you do, and you know, you don't look as good as you once used to or whatever, right? You start looking at all these things. You go, look, we're all flawed human beings. We are. But that has nothing to do with my love towards you. This is Jesus, by the way. He looks at his creation. He looks at people because you're flawed. You're not good enough, but I love you. And I'll do anything to have a relationship with you. This, this is the church. We're flawed. We're screwed up. But Jesus wants to have, he wants to do anything to have a relationship with us. This is our marriages, our spouses, ourselves. We are broken people. Why are we pretending that we have it all together? We don't. But we have a spouse that will look at us eyeball to eyeball and say, out of you, I love you. I am committed to you more than anyone else in the whole wide world. You. And I value you. And you are worthy of my love. And I will share myself and I will express my love for you in the most intimate and vulnerable way possible. This, friends, this is healing in a relationship. God knew we were separate. We were different people. And he says, you will be united in those things. You will be strong in those things. So, please understand, sex is so much more than just a physical transaction. Do you get this? This is significant 
And not only does sex allow us to value each other one to value each other these ways, it allows us to do it and have pleasure while we're doing it. To smile, to rejoice, to laugh even, to have a good time. What a beautiful thing. And yet, because we're broken people, there's a lot of hurt. Let me, let me say this. The Apostle Paul has some interesting things to say about husbands and wives and the posture that we're supposed to have towards one another. He says this in the book of Ephesians. He says, uh, verse 21, he says, Submit to one another, to one another, to one another. Just to be very clear, one another. Submit to one another. Not one over the other, but to one another. Out of reverence for who? Out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Out of respect for Jesus Christ. Not because your husband is worth it. Because he's not. I did a survey. Do you know how many men are worthy of the wife's submission? Zero. Flip it around. How many women? I did a study. 4%. Just kidding. The answer is zero. Because we're broken People, you don't equally submit to one another. You don't mutually submit to one another because they're worth it. You do it because of Jesus. And then listen, listen. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. He says, the husband should... should, should ooh, let me take a drink. Sorry. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. Marital duty means sex in this context. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. I like that part of the deal. In the same way, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. And I think all women will agree that you get the raw end of that deal. I'm trying to dissolve some of the tension in the room, okay? Verse five, do not deprive, listen, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What is Satan going to tempt you with? Other people. It could be other people through a screen. It could be other people through work. He's going to tempt you with other people. So husbands and wives, to, to be married is to be is to be in a sexual relationship. Don't, don't deprive one another of that. Notice Paul does not say anything about the frequency of having sex, the amount of times that you should. It's just if you are married, you should be in a healthy sexual relationship if you want a healthy marriage. It's, it's a part. This is, what, this is what it means to be married. If you're going to work on your sex life, you work on your marriage. You have to do these things. So let me, let me be very, very practical with us. Um, and I'm, I'm going long, so I'm going to go through this as quick as I can. Um, the first thing that you and I are going to do if we're going to have a healthy marriage and a healthy sex life, we have to communicate with our spouse. This is number two on your notes. Communicate with your spouse. We have to have conversations. We cannot be shy about these conversations. We have to talk about these things. 
Okay. Um, I understand it can be awkward. It's going to be a little bit weird, especially if you don't talk about it all that often, but you have to have conversations with your spouse. You have to share, you have to be vulnerable. You have to trust that you can share an insecurity or a desire, and they're not going to shut the door in your face or make you feel embarrassed. You have to trust them in that. And if you can't have the conversation without that occurring, you've got some work to do. Well, we have a strong marriage. No, you don't because you can't talk about this. You have to be able to talk about this. And I get it. This is so awkward. We even created a resource just to help you. So if you take out your phone, go to the church website, ncctk.com. On the homepage, right there, the front screen, um, it'll say, let's talk about it. And it is simply a 10-question kind of evaluation guide of just asking questions and helping you talk about sexuality in your marriage. What does it look like? Are we healthy? Are, is this life-giving? Is it fulfilling? Are we being satisfied? This, it's going to help you walk through this. It's just to get you going. It's not going to solve everything, but it's just to get the conversation going. But you'll have to listen with the intent of understanding, not listening for your turn to speak in. And do your best not to be defensive. And when you feel like you're building a wall or your spouse is building up a wall as you talk about it, can, can we acknowledge it? Honey, I feel like you're being really defensive right now. And so um, I, I love you. I am for you. We are on the same team. Th- these are very helpful words. And maybe start the conversation off by simply saying, we're going to talk about sex, but before we do, I'm sorry. It takes two people. No one is perfect in this. So own, own up to your end because there, there are ways that we have hurt one another. The second, or the second one is this on the application. Um, heal what is broken. I don't think you can grow up in this world without being scarred or wounded when it comes to sex. I, I don't think you can. What I'm trying to say is I think we're all broken. I think we're all hurt when it comes to sex. We have unrealistic expectations that we place on other people that can't possibly happen. Some of us have been hurt this way. Some of us have been abused this way. And I simply want to say, this is part of the conversation. And if you need to, everyone needs to heal what is broken. Some of us might need professional help with this. And by the way, that, that doesn't mean anything is wrong with you or you're less than. The wounds from sex are very, very deep and very significant. It takes time. And I would even argue professionals to help guide you through all this stuff. And then the last one is pursue your spouse. I mean, it's Valentine's Day after all, right? Buy the flowers. Leave little sticky notes throughout the house saying, I love you and I think you're amazing and I love how you do whatever. Figure out their love languages. Speak their love languages. Figure out how to pursue them, how to desire them. But, but do it in a way that they feel pursued and desired. Not your own way. You know what I mean? Like you have to, you have to do it their way so that they can actually receive this thing. But like, I don't know, date them again. Try and romance them. Show them that they are in fact still the most important thing in your life. And don't just do the physical thing, guys. They're, you know, everything else that makes up a woman, right? We, we can do this. We can do this. And thank God for Valentine's Day where it's the one time of year I'm reminded to put in some effort. But we can do this. We can pursue one another. And, and here's the deal. Here's kind of the whole whole focus of this message. Um, it's been said that w- when you're single, Satan will try and get you to have sex with, with everyone every time. And then once you get married, he'll try to keep you from having sex. And I want the narrative in our society to change from, you know, don't get married because that's the end of your sex life. And the key to real sexual fulfillment is to just have it with as many people as you can. Then when you get old and tired, settle down for marriage. What a stupid story. 
I want to flip that and say, look, those of you who are having sex outside of marriage, you're missing out on the wholeness of it, the way that God designed it. And I promise you, it is way better in the context of marriage than outside of it. Because you can be like, oh, look, we love each other so much. And I would say, no, you don't. You don't love each other enough to be in the committed relationship called marriage. So while you're having sex, like acknowledge that. You're not at that level and you're invited. If you say you love this person more than anyone else in the world and you're not even married, you have invited sin into your relationship. You've invited hurt and pain into that relationship. This is not good. This is not how God designed it. When you do it this way, it's a physical transaction and maybe emotionally we feel good about it. But it is less than what God Almighty has created it to be. And I just want to flip the script on this whole thing and just say, we have the answer. Look, look at the marriages in our church. Like we have happy, healthy people who love one another. We are so not perfect and we are so screwed up. But in spite of all that, we are phenomenal at giving and receiving love. And I just think that's the most beautiful thing in the world. And so I want to pray for us. And my goal is at the end of this, that you grab the hand of your spouse and you leave church down the aisles like it was on your wedding day. And you're just skipping around and we love each other. Yes, we got some work to do, but we love each other. We love each other. And we're going to ride off into the sunset. And this week, man, it's going to be beautiful. Couples are going to come together. They're going to have sex. They're going to be united. People are going to go on date nights and they're going to talk about things and open up and be vulnerable. And it's going to be met with trust and love and just, oh, It's the way God designed it. It will never be perfect, but it will be so good. So let me pray for us. Father, as your church, Lord, we come before you. And God, I simply ask that this week, when conversations are being had, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, that your peace that surpasses all understanding would be in the midst of those conversations. God, would we trust you? Would we trust our spouse? in sharing some of our hurts, some of our insecurities, some of our difficulties, and even sharing some of our desires. I pray, Lord, that this week there would be significant healing in relationships that are broken. And I pray, Lord, that the enemy wouldn't get a foothold in these conversations. I I pray, Lord, that our self-esteem, our self-image, our internal guide of worth, Father, would we be encouraged, would we be supported, and would we ultimately know that you have created us on purpose and we are worthy of love and God may our marriages may we be able to stand like Adam and Eve naked and feel no shame no shame say here I am in spite of my brokenness I give myself to you and would our spouses would they say the exact same thing Father would you be glorified in our relationships we pray this in Christ's name amen Would you stand with us as we sing one last song?